Okay, we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> I also have the notes for 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I don't know if we're going to get that far, but in case we do, they're, they're there. So, and, uh, but we'll be picking it up at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We, we talked about verse 13 a few weeks ago, but uh, uh, I'm going to reemphasize that verse as we move on. And so as you're turning there in your Bibles, let's, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And Father, in Jesus' precious name, the people that are here today are here to, to worship you, to pray with other believers and for other believers and for the world. And they're also here, Lord, to, to hear your word proclaimed. They didn't come here today and take time out of their busy schedule to hear the faulty wisdom of man. Throughout my life, Lord, you, you've been faithful, but throughout my life, there's been times when I've been faithless. And I often talk too much and say things that are not honoring to you, say things that contradict your truth. And so I pray that during this sermon, Lord, you would, you would cancel the man and that you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I thank you, Lord, that we have a congregation of people who study your word and they test everything they hear, everything they see. Even what they hear from this pulpit, they test because they know the final authority is not the guy behind the pulpit. The final authority is your word. You are a God who is there, as Francis Schaeffer said, and you are a God who is not silent. You've spoken to us in your word. And so I thank you, Lord, that the people here will test what I say with your word and uh, hold fast to that which is true. I pray, Lord, that you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to understand your truth and empower us by your spirit and for your glory to obey your truth. For we long to be a church like the Thessalonians, a church willing to suffer for you, a church of faith, a church of hope, and a church of love. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, Paul, throughout this letter, has been expressing his love for the Thessalonians. You know, it got so hot in the kitchen, even Paul had to leave there. The persecution was off the charts. He had to flee. And, uh, and so Paul thanked God for them. He wished upon them grace and mercy. And then uh, eventually uh, he started defending his ministry. Um, he talked about that his ministry was a ministry of boldness and integrity, a ministry of love and unselfishness, a ministry of blameless behavior. Always remember, ministry means serving people, okay? If you're not serving people, you're not in ministry. And you might say, well, I got a, I got a grandmother who's, in a wheelchair or she's bedridden, she can't even talk to people. 
So she can't be in ministry. No, she's a prayer warrior. She's serving people. Okay? And, um, but ministry is serving people. And that's like I kind of constantly, even with what little coaching I've done, um, I've seen people, that coaches that don't understand that leadership is not uh, maintenance. Leadership is not managing details. That has to be done, but that's not leadership. That's important, but it's not leadership. Okay? Leadership is motivating people. Set an example for them and motivating them and teaching them to be all that God called them to be. And, uh, and Paul had a powerful ministry to uh, the uh, Thessalonians and he defended that ministry. Now, in verses 13 to 16, where we left off, he once again prays for them. He prays for their spiritual growth. You see, it's great to lead people to Jesus, okay? But we don't want to leave them there. It's not our job to make spiritual babies all over the country, maybe even all over the world, and then just leave them there. we got to help them grow in the Lord, Okay? And so he prayed. When was the last time? Maybe somebody you led to Christ 20 years ago. When was the last time you prayed for them? And their spiritual growth. Paul cared about these people. And they were suffering for the gospel. And they were still being true to Jesus. So Paul and his team, Silas and Timothy, they thank God for the Thessalonian believers in verse 13. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, okay? Um, Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And we talked about that last week, how Paul prayed without ceasing for them. Uh, but it was because they received Paul's preaching as the word of God, not as the mere wisdom of man. So I just want us to look back up a little bit and look at a few passages about the word of God. And we come on Sunday mornings, is it like, well, I can't wait to go to church on Sunday morning because I want to hear Pastor Phil's opinion? I hope that's not what your goal is. I hope you come to church on Sunday morning to hear the word of God preached. And if I get behind this pulpit and start doing what the Jehovah's Witnesses or the health and wealth heretics do, I start pulling verses out of context and misleading people, okay, then it's time to confront me. And if I won't repent, you go find another church, okay? But when Paul taught them, they realized that's not the word of man. That's the word of God. And, um, you know, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, I'll tell you, it's a fearful thing to proclaim the word of God. I don't want to be cause a stumbling block to others. And uh, But Paul there says that you welcomed his teaching, the Thessalonians welcomed his teaching, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And then he says, which also effectively works in you who believe. Hopefully you're hearing the word of God and it's effectively working in and through you. 
Hopefully you're not the person you used to be before you got saved, okay? And, uh, but uh, the Word of God, at least a couple passages on the Word of God I want to talk about right now. Uh, I think I we just, lack of time, we just kind of ran through that verse. And so I want to take a closer look. Look at 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And Paul says this. This is while the New Testament is still being written. But all Scripture, so all of the Word of God, is given by inspiration of God. In the Greek, it's God-breathed. Just as if God breathed the words out himself. God guided human authors to record his word totally without error. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's for teaching, for reproof, for correction. We need to correct people when they teach heresies, things that are not biblical, false teachings. We need to correct people when their behavior, when they're not doing what God's called them to do, what God's commanded us to do. But the, all scripture is given by inspiration to God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? Now, you might be an electrician, and you're not going to find all the information you need to be a good electrician in the Bible. But even if you're an electrician... You're going to find all the information you need to live a godly life in the Bible, to be a man of God. And if you're a lady, to be a woman of God, okay? Um, I'm telling you, it's, it's, I mean, it's a scary day today because I used to really freak out. I got saved in 1981. It was kind of a radical conversion. I wasn't the nice gentle, soft-spoken guy that you people have come to know and love. I wasn't that way always. I used to be loud, and my voice used to be gruff. And uh, But uh, but I'd freak out. I mean, I'd yell at people. I mean, who am I to yell at somebody for all the dumb things I've done in my life? But as a new believer, I couldn't understand that people would walk around without a Bible. You know, my Bible was with me, man. I might as well have duct taped it to my arm. I mean, they're always. Nowadays, though, a lot of people, their Bible, a lot of young people, their Bible is their cell phone. And they can read any translation they want. So now we can't tell. You know, we can't separate the, the men from the boys anymore and say, ah, you call yourself a Christian, you don't even bring the word of God with you. Oh, a lot of them got cell phones and stuff. And, uh, um, you know, I don't even know how to get on Facebook on my cell phone. And, uh, but, uh, but whatever the case, that love for the Word of God. I mean, if if you were in combat and you tell everybody, you know, and you're in faraway land, you say, yeah, I love my wife, I love my bride, and this and that. And then somebody looks and they realize you got like 20 letters from her and you never opened them up. What's your buddy going to say? Your buddy's going to say, I don't think you love your wife. She writes you letters. You don't even open up the letters. 
we say we love Jesus. In the old days before cell phones, our Bibles would gather dust. You know, and I'm not, I'm not like a hypercritical guy where I don't grab your Bible and see if, oh, wait a minute, you don't highlight and underline and write notes in it as much as Carl does, so you're not holy. You might be like me. I got like, you know, I, got enough, I own enough Bibles uh, to probably supply the Gideons for like uh, some, some foreign country out there, okay? So, so, yeah, some Bibles I write in, some I don't, okay? But whatever the case, if we love God, we're going to love his word. And, um, you know, and, 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 hear me out. We do not worship the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the one who wrote it. Because we worship the one who wrote it, if God has spoken, we will listen. Okay? And um, look at Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. Some of you are turning pages. Some of you are pushing buttons on your cell phone. So Hebrews 4.12, and this is the word of God. It's not just the written word of God. If God speaks, then even the spoken word of God carries the same weight. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, one side blesses, the other side judges. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword Piercing, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay? I'm telling you, uh, the word of God cuts me. There's times, I mean, it was, a, it was a guy, him and his wife, Navy guy, him and his wife used to come to our church probably a couple decades ago. And he, the guy got transferred to Southern California, and he came up to visit me and decided to go to a nice restaurant. So he went to uh, Burger King in downtown. In fact, right near here, Burger King downtown. So just a few hundred yards away, Burger King downtown Bremerton. And he told me that uh, he was doing a church hop for a year. And I said, you can't do that, man. you got to find a good Bible-believing church. And... and um, he was like, well, we're trying. But he said, I walk into church and I feel like a spiritual giant. And then when I leave church, I feel like a spiritual giant. He said, when I used to come to your church, um, you'd be preaching. And they, he, he, when he mentioned this, I could remember, it looked like him and his wife would have whisper arguments. And uh, because he said that he he was actually would accuse his wife of calling me up during the week and telling him all telling me all the bad stuff he was doing and and then finally she'd convince him that no I haven't talked to Pastor Phil since last Sunday and he realized okay well then the Holy Spirit is speaking today through his word to me and he said but I would come to church and I'd feel like a spiritual giant and I'd leave feeling like a man who was out of God's will and needed to grow spiritually. He basically told me, I loved your church because you made me feel horrible. Okay? 
We got a lot of churches right now that are building guys that are building big churches just figuring out how to make people feel good about themselves. You know? You got some counselors that'll do that too, you know. You got a lot of trouble going on, you're like, well, it's not you. It's everybody else, you know. We got like 50, 60-year-old guys who are still blaming mommy and daddy for all the problems they're having today. And um, I'm telling you, the word of God, you know, there's a lot of guys say, I got problems in my marriage. It's because my wife won't submit to me. Are you loving her like Christ loved the church? I mean, if your wife's not submitting to you, what are you supposed to do? The Bible tells you you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loves the church. The Bible speaks to you first. Don't look for verses and say, oh, here it is. That's why I'm so messed up because Joe Schmo treated me that way. No. You know, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 or chapter 2, in verse 13, they accepted what Paul taught them as the word of God, not the word of man, which also effectively works in you who believe. If you're believing in Jesus, you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, you have to have your mind renewed, like Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. You've got to have your mind renewed. You've got to be transformed, inwardly changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to get rid of your mind and replace it with the mind of Christ. Okay, and um, and uh, another passage, and the Lord for like a year has been hammering me with this passage. Uh, I'll probably proclaim this passage till the day I die, not because I have mastered it, but because I, I, I need it. I need to be reminded of this on a regular basis. But Isaiah 66 and verse, Carl shared this verse with me years ago. Took a few few years to sink in for me. But God's just saying, he's reminding the readers that, you know, hey, I'm I'm God, so listen to what I got to say here. Uh, Paul is saying that about the Thessalonians. That the Thessalonians were saying, hey, when Paul's preaching, that's not his wisdom, that's the wisdom of God. And so God says, for all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist. And so God's saying, hey, I created everything other than myself. I created, says the Lord. And so God created this big universe. Why would he even care about us? Well, guess what? God says, you know what? I'm focusing on some people. Some humans put, a, put on this one, will I look? on him who is poor and of, of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. That's probably the biggest problem with the American church today. We don't tremble at God's word. We read something in the Bible and it's just like, hmm, yeah, uh, let me look elsewhere, Okay. No, we don't tremble at God's word. And by the way, you're not going to tremble at God's word unless you've got a broken and contrite spirit. You've got to acknowledge that apart from the grace of God, if you got what you deserve, 
It's the eternal flames of hell, eternal separation from God. And you guys say, you guys, you got to pray, God, humble me, make me poor in spirit. And it's not, it's not an easy prayer to pray, and when God answers it, it's even tougher. We get to points in life where we think we're big stuff. We think we're celebrities. We think we're, you know, like we got something to offer God. Well, my Bible says, you know, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say, apart from me, Phil Fernandez, you can do a little bit. God's word says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we need to have broken and contrite spirit, and we need to tremble at God's word. Let me tell you something about the Thessalonians. They trembled at God's word. If you don't tremble at God's word, you better start trembling now, okay? Because I'm telling you, the government is not your friend. Okay, President Biden wants to really straighten out our country. So I guess we really needed 87,000 extra armed IRS agents, huh? Eh, that doesn't sound like he's going to bat for me. Okay? And so I'm telling you, if the United States government brings its force upon Christians, that's reason to tremble. So let's get in the habit of trembling at God's word so much so that we won't tremble at the power of man. What's the worst the government could do? Can kill me? Can destroy my body? I'm going to tremble at God's word because the one who wrote God's word, he could throw both my body and my soul into the lake of fire. That's why the Bible says the, the fear of the Lord, not the fear of Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and it's the beginning of wisdom. We got to tremble at God's word. And that's what Paul is saying here in, uh, in verse 13, that he was thanking God without ceasing because they received the word of God, which Paul and his team preached to them, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Okay? We got to understand here, but believe me, we have brilliant textual critics looking at copies of uh, the New Testament in the original Greek, and they figure out, they give us an incredibly accurate translation of the Bible. And so we can say for all practical purposes, this is the word of God. Okay? And when we see stuff going on all over the place, I'm, I'm telling you, things, God's really put it on my heart but from, from studying Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, Paul loved them so much. He was only with them for a short while and he loved them so much. I want to be a good shepherd like Paul. And I look at good people who love Jesus. We all still deserve hell. But God saved us and he's working on us. Okay? And as the shepherd of this flock, there's a storm brewing. Dark days are ahead. I mean, you don't have to go to some faraway 
Islamic or Marxist regime and say, oh, yeah, like in, in, in China with a communist regime and prisons and kills Christians. We just go see our friends to the north in Canada. Now, if you say anything against LGBT, and I don't even know all the initials, eventually they'll get all 26 letters of the alphabet in there, so I'll have the letters down. I won't have the order right, but um, you say anything negative about them, you could be fined $25 or serve X amount of time in prison. Okay? And, um, and there's times when uh, our leaders seem to be bummed out with how much Trudeau to the north and Canada can get away with, and we can't. We got tough times coming, okay? Um, we got laws in this state being passed that if a little kid wants to have a sex change and the parents say no, the government can snatch them away. God did not institute the government to replace the parents. God instituted the family. And God certainly did not institute the government to replace him. So don't sign me up for the deification of the state. I'm not going to bow before human leaders. But I tell you, we got to recognize, I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer, but it, it's really not. we got to recognize the word of God as what? The word of God. Okay? I mean, you can ask me or Rory or Tim on uh, uh, ask us questions about Raider football, and we can really shoot the baloney, okay? But anyone who rightly interprets and accurately communicates the word of God, that is the word of God. That is God's truth. I can remember things are going bad for me teaching. I'm horrible at classroom management. If uh, <clears throat> the principal walks in the room, I'm proud of myself if the students hadn't tied me up at that point. And, um, and things were going bad, and I was like a very mature, very wise man in his early 40s. And we had another Bible teacher named George, who was some young kid, 26 years old. Guy was brilliant, though. And um, and I told him what I was going through, and you know, so I was all stressed out. And he quoted a verse for me, and and he was from Georgia, and so he had an accent that I couldn't relate to. And he was like, uh, I don't know if it was First Peter five seven, but it was something like, feel. It's like, man, it's not my name, dude. It's, but he'd say, feel. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. I'm like, I wanted to, I wanted to smack him. You know, he's a good athlete. I wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a good choice, but it's just like, that's the last thing on earth I wanted to hear. But I had to take a deep breath, sit back, and recognize he's sharing the word of God with me. It's in the proper context. And I know it already, but I needed to hear it, and so I had to thank him. The word of God is the word of God. And when it's properly preached, like Paul and his team, when you accurately preach the word of God, 
if it's convicting you, if it says to do something and you're not doing it, or to not do something and you are doing it, you better work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You better tremble at God's word, and you better get with his program, okay? There's only room for one God in his universe, and he's the one who created the universe. There is a God, you're not him, and he has spoken to us in his word, okay? And, um, and so whatever the case, uh, Paul was like, man, I am glad you welcomed our teaching, not as the wisdom of man, but as the word of God. And when you do that, the word of God will effectively be at work in you and will transform your life. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But no temptation's overtaken us. The key, that's a really big verse, a lot of words, but the three key words, God is faithful. So when you mess up, or when I mess up, don't blame God. He was faithful. He gave you the resources. He gave you a way of escape. You know, King David could say in Psalm 119, 11, thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I don't think we tremble at his word enough. I don't think we treasure God's word enough. The Thessalonians, they got it right. And because of that, they were willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel. Now look at verses 14 to 16 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So, so Paul is praying for their spiritual growth, okay? He thanks God for them because they're accepting the word of God as the word of God. And then verses 14 to 16, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea, Judea, in Christ Jesus, the southern region of Israel. You had Judea to the south, and then to the north was Galilee, where Jesus, he grew up in, even though he was born in Bethlehem in Judea, he grew up in Nazareth in Galilee. The Judean Jews looked down upon the Galilean Jews, and then Samaria was in between. The, the, the Jews didn't even consider them Jews at all. Did not like the Samaritans. But he says, for you, brethren, the Thessalonians, he's complimenting them here, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. And, of course, the, what's the most important city in Judea? It's Jerusalem. So he's talking about the Jerusalem church pretty much and everything that came out of that, the Jewish Christians. And he said, I want to compliment you because you're like them. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. So in other words, if you lived in Jerusalem or in the region of Judea and you acknowledge Jesus as your God, your Savior, and your Messiah, you got persecuted. You'd get ridiculed. You'd lose your job. You might get beat up on. You might even get stoned to death like Stephen, okay? And... Uh, and he's telling the Thessalonians, man, you're doing, you're doing as well as they are because you're willing to suffer the same things that the Judeans 
suffered from their own people. Uh, and by the way, uh, they jumped out. It jumped out at me when I was studying this passage. For you also suffered the same things from who? From foreign invaders? From aliens? From other planets? No, from your own countrymen. That's the norm for biblical Christianity. If people don't submit to the Lord Jesus and they're not open to the gospel, you know, Jesus said in John 15, 18, if you find the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And so if we think we're not going to suffer the same things as they suffered from our own countrymen, we've got another thing coming. And, uh, and then he talks about the, the, the Jews in Judea who didn't accept Jesus as their Savior, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Okay? I mean, that's a, that's a, you can look at that and say, man, the Jews have an ugly history, a really bad religious report card. God sends them a prophet. The Jewish tradition tells us that Isaiah was the prophet who was sawn in two. Um, they beat up on Jeremiah. They beat up on, you send them a prophet, they'll kill him. And uh, that's a pretty bad report card. But before we get arrogant and look down on them, I think if American Christianity law, you know, lasts long enough, we're going to find ourselves beating up on our prophets, beating up on our preachers, okay? Canada locks up pre a preacher like me, assuming the Canadian government considered me enough of a threat, I'd be in prison right now, okay? They're having issues. They're becoming like Europe. And we got political leaders who want us to become like Europe too. And uh, but the Judeans, the, the Judeans, the Jews who rejected Jesus, they killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. They beat up on Paul and his team. They had to flee, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. See, a lot of these Jews. It was like Paul before he got saved. It was like, look, we're the chosen nation of God, the Jews, and so therefore we don't preach to the Gentiles. We try to get the Gentiles to get circumcised and become Jews. And then they can enter into a saving relationship with God. They hated the fact that Paul would preach to the Gentiles and say, you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to place yourself under a Jewish diet. You can come to the Lord Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah, but he is also the Savior of mankind. It's God the Son become a man. And you can trust in him alone for salvation. And the Judean Jews are like, no, no, look, we... We're patriotic Jews. Be careful about being a patriotic American, by the way. I'm a patriotic American, but be careful. Do not make America your God, okay? Yes, I'm a citizen of America, okay? By the way, that's not exactly good news. 
because originally we were citizens of our states. There was so much state sovereignty that you did not consider yourself a citizen of America. And so we moved from, from state sovereignty to bigger national government. And now what we're trying to do is move to regional and global government. Okay? And God let us know what he thought about that at the Tower of Babel. Okay? And um, so we got to preach the gospel to all nations. And at the same time, Satan is trying to build the kingdom, a one-world government that will be ruled by the Antichrist in, in the last days. Uh, but these, these Jews were so patriotic that became their religion, no Gentile can be saved unless he first becomes a Jew. And, and so they were forbidding Paul, who was the to the Gentiles, that they may be saved, verse 16, so as always to fill up the measure of sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Okay, God's anger has come upon them. So Paul says, look, you Thessalonians, I am glad that you have become imitators of the churches in Judea, the believers in Judea, like, like Peter and John and James and the and the, uh, the early church there. Because the Thessalonians suffered the same persecution as the Jewish churches did. You know, Jesus said, again, John 15, 18, if you find the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. 2 Timothy 3, 12, Paul's about the dice says, anyone who desires to live godly lives will be persecuted. You might say, well, that does, that's not true because I wasn't persecuted until now recently. It looks like, you know, I could get in trouble on the work site. And, you know, it's just kind of like if you want a job in America, don't speak the truth while you're there. You'll get yourself in trouble. And um, but no, even even when America was, quote unquote, a Christian nation, whatever that means. I mean, if it means that that was the foundation for our government, and not uh, the founding fathers did not believe that the Bible was something that we as a nation perfectly obeyed. The founding fathers acknowledged the Bible tells us where we should be, and we're going to try real hard to get there. And the re revolution solved some of those problems. Civil War helped with other issues, not treating all men as if they were created equally. And, um, but it was kind of it was recognizing that this is what we need to shoot for. So America has never been perfect and all, but the fact of the matter is even when a country is dominated by the Christian worldview, even when the biblical worldview saturates a culture Christians will still be persecuted. And sometimes it's just a little ridicule and all. Uh, you know, I remember I was going to church after getting saved and uh, uh, big scandal. Uh, some parents went away. And, um, 
one of the cool guys at the youth group. This is a small youth group. We're talking like 10 people. And, um, but one of the cool guys called up the others in the youth group and, um, and had a party at his house and somehow got somebody to buy them alcohol. And so this was like a major, major scandal and stuff. By the way, the guy who had the party is now walking strong for the Lord. He's a weightlifter. I used to lift weights with him. And the fact I started lifting weights with him after that, realizing, okay, he needs his dad's great man of God, but he needs another male role model. And now he's big as a moose and um, godly man. And um, But the guy that refused to go and narked on all of them, uh, uh, became a Kitsap County sheriff's deputy and is doing a great job. Well, guess what? Uh, I bet if they weren't afraid of him, uh, at least behind his back, they were probably calling the guy a narc. You know, all kinds of names and stuff like that. So that's what we're used to. America's the great exception. We still get persecuted, but our persecution has been, oh, you know, poor puppy. People say bad things about you behind your back. But we were persecuted. But the days are coming where our persecution is going to look more like the persecution that the Judean church suffered, that the early church suffered, that Christians throughout just about every nation where the gospel has been preached. Um, you got Nigeria is like half Christian, half Muslim. Guess whose buildings are being burnt down? The Christians. Guess whose daughters are being kidnapped and sold into slavery? The Christians. And, um, and so whatever the case, Paul says, man, I am glad that you guys imitate the churches in Judea. You're willing to suffer the same persecution as the Jewish churches did because the Judean non-believers killed Jesus and the prophets uh, they persecuted Paul and his team. Why? Because they were missionaries to the Gentiles. Okay? These persecutors uh, are opposed to God and to all mankind. They forbid Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul says they do not please God, and because of that, God's wrath is upon them. Now, at that time, God's anger being displayed upon the anti-Christian Jews was famine. Famine was going on. They were getting in trouble with Rome. Another 20 years later, Rome would destroy the temple and surround the city and wipe out the people, starve them out first in a Roman siege. Um, you, you've had a history of the Jewish people who haven't come to Christ. God, it, it, God is so kind and so loving but it's amazing the extremes at which he will go to get our attention. Okay? Please, be a person who trembles at God's word, treats God's word as if it really is God's word, so that, guess what? We get to learn from the mistakes of people like David and Moses and Noah. We don't have to repeat those mistakes. And... Uh, and so we need to learn from that. But there's an easy way to learn. Will you submit to God's word? He said, God has spoken. 
God said it. I believe it. Through the power of God for God's glory, I'm going to do it. Okay? I'm going to allow God to change my heart. That's the easy way. The hard way, we can. We can, as Christians, choose to not tremble at God's word and then learn from our own mistakes. Okay? And, um, and unfortunately, with, um, with the Jews who rejected Christ, Jews who are not even Christians, not even saved, they've rejected Christ. They've had a long history of suffering. Seems to me anytime you get a demonic dictator who takes over, inexplicably, inexplicably, he declares war on the Jews. Okay? And so they've had a history of thousands of years of suffering, and God's wrath is upon them, not because God hates them, but because God wants, God will do whatever it takes to bring you to him. Remember, I talk about the two guys that I thought that they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit and later came to Christ. I would not put my worst enemy through what either one of them went through. One guy, it took the death of his Christian girlfriend that he led astray before he came to Christ. Um, and then the other guy, it was a house under heavy demonic attack before he recognized, I'm not as tough as I thought, and I need... Uh, to trust in Jesus. Um, but we got to ask ourselves, uh, are, are we willing to live for, you know, are we living for ourselves or are we living for our king? How many of our decisions are decisions that we think would be best for us rather than making sometimes hard decisions that could cost us? The Thessalonians are making those difficult decisions. They're saying, we're going to serve the Lord. If that means losing our jobs, then we'll lose our jobs. We, but I'll tell you, the food pantry, the, uh, the preparation courses, we need that big time because I'm, I'm telling you, we're going to, we believers in a very short time, unless, unless God causes such great revival in our country and Americans repent and all, uh, unless that happens, Christians are going to be unemployable in the very near future. As I look out of this congregation, there's a few people that have lost their jobs and, um, and some that almost lost their jobs because the government wanted to make a, a decision for them that they didn't feel led to make. And um, I don't want to get any more specific because I don't want this sermon, like a previous sermon, to be taken off of YouTube, because I didn't meet the community standards. Community, what community are you talking about? You talking about your uh, algorithms over there, YouTube? It's not a community. And um, But are you living for yourself, or are you living for your king? Okay, if we're going to be like the Thessalonians, we've got to live for our king. And then, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Now, look at, uh, so, so Paul says, look, I commend you, Thessalonians, for imitating the churches in Judea and being willing to live for the Lord, even if that meant suffering. Okay? And then he says in verses 17 through 20, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart. They, you know, they they forced me to 
Thessalonica, but I'm still with you in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And so Paul said, you know, hey, look, due to persecution, uh, Paul, Silas, and even Timothy had to flee initially. Now Paul is going to send Timothy back. And this is where he gets the good report of the Thessalonians. That's in chapter 3. But due to persecution, Paul and his team had to flee Thessalonica. Still, they are with the Thessalonians in heart. Satan hindered Paul from visiting them. Let me tell you, I'm, I don't have a whole lot of discernment in some areas. I can't tell sometimes when God is calling me to do something and when he's telling me to not do something. You know, I'm talking about like good things. Like I get asked to speak somewhere. Should I speak there? Or should I say, no, I need some rest. I need to spend more time with my missus. And so I really go with the closed doors. If there's an open door, I take it. If there's a closed door, I figure, okay, maybe it's not from the Lord. That's too simplistic, okay? We got to get filled with the Holy Spirit to the point that it becomes natural to walk in the supernatural, okay? We got to get to the point where we can recognize what God's specific will for our lives is. And, um, and I'm telling you, it's not easy because sometimes closed doors come from God, but sometimes they come from Satan. Sometimes there's a door slammed in my face or your face, and God says, bust through that door. Through my power, for my glory, you bust through that door. I remember our church shrunk so low that when I went to another pastor for advice, he said, well, you're not really a church. You're too small, so I don't know what to know. I should have asked him, what's, what's the number you got to have? You know, we were down to about 15, 20 people. What's the number you got to have to officially be a church? You know, I'm too bad we couldn't have gotten Jesus that information. He would have never started the church when they only had 12 guys, and one of them was a traitor. And, but the pastor told me, you should shut down your church, join my church, and I'll give you your people as a Sunday school class. But it was, you know, I went to the guy for help, but it was kind of like a shut door there. But it was just like, there, I thought it was clear. No, God's telling me to bust through. And by the number of the people that were left, I mean, they were quality people. And so he, this guy's telling me, your church is dead. Your church died. And I said, well, you know, we worship a king who died and then by the power of God, rose again. Even if you're right, I don't think you are, but even if my church is dead, you say God can't raise my church? You know, there were, there were times when guys told me it's when I was in my late 30s. I'm a few years older than that now. And um, when I was in my mid to late 30s, guys would say, hey, hey man, you know, you got a small church and Pacific Northwest is tough. You need to candidate at some bigger churches. Sometimes I get phone calls asking me to candidate at some bigger churches and get a nice cushy job with a congregation of five or 600, a nice salary and, and stuff like that. Hey, um, 
sometimes open doors are not from God. Satan can open doors. And I'm not saying this is true for all preachers. It certainly wasn't true for Paul. God called him to plant churches and then train them for a year or two, train leaders, and just when it got fun to be a pastor, he'd go leave and go preach again. I'm not the kind of, I planted one church, this church, in 1988. And unless Jesus made it real clear to me, I kind of consider our church kind of like a marriage till death do us part. I see some of our people leaving Washington State, going to free states, like Idaho and Texas and Florida. And I think that, you know, if they prayed about it, it sounds like they're making pretty good choices. Me and my wife are probably going to get stuck with going down with the, the ship. I can honestly say I love you. I'm a shepherd who loves his flock, but I can also honestly say when I read Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, I don't love you as much as Paul loved his flocks. Now, I, I admit it. When I'm away for one Sunday and I got to speak, and, you know, like last time it was North Carolina, man, I miss everybody. And I can't wait to get back. The Sunday service and the midweek Bible study with the guys and all. Okay. But, uh, you know, Paul's like, I mean, he's, when he's telling his people, how much he loves them, how much he misses them. That's the kind of love that a pastor should have for his flock. And so pray for me. Pray for the other pastors as well here that that we learn to love our flock the way God wants us to. And uh, But Satan had closed the door. Sometimes closed doors come from God. Sometimes open doors come from God. Sometimes they come from Satan. Just because a job pays more money, um, and uh, you can get a bigger house and this and that. That doesn't mean that God's called you to that. Maybe God has, but you got to pray about it. But Satan, one thing we know for sure, Satan will always try to prevent us from doing God's will. Um, I'm running a little over, but I want to give you this, this story. Years ago, a situation occurred where we had to take into our house, me and my wife, our two of our teenage nieces, okay? So when they came into the house, immediately I knew they were the opposition. Immediately I knew they were going to compete with me for the junk food that I store in the, in the closet. And they were teenagers, and teenagers, male or female, they can, you know, they could pile it in, you know, and stuff. And so... I was nervous about it, so I had, to, I had to be strategic, okay? And so I told them one day, I got Entenmann's. You guys know Entenmann's? They're real big back in Jersey. You can still buy them out here. Chocolate-covered donuts, a dozen donuts from Entenmann's. And I told my, my two nieces, Ashley and Chelsea, they were about, at the time, they were about 16 and 15, I said, I got Entenmann donuts in there. Those are for me. Don't be eating my Entenmann donuts, okay? And so obviously they're eating the Entenmann 
donuts. And um, and so I went to go to the cupboard or whatever you call it, where we store the... I'm a prepper too, a lot of donuts. And, and, uh, and so I opened the door and I took out the Entenmann box and I said, there's only one donut left. And then Chelsea came in. She was the one who had a lot of fight in her, still does. And she grabbed it real quick and ate it in front of me. And I said, I told you not to eat the Entenmann donuts. And she's like this in my, in my face, chewing away at it. And I said, Chelsea, never listen to the opposition. And behind the box of Entenmann donuts were hidden a box of a dozen ding-dongs. And there was only like two or three left. But guess who ate the first nine or ten? Okay? Now... I hate to use myself in an illustration as symbolic of Satan, but I'm telling you, I love donuts, but ding-dongs are better than donuts. Sometimes Satan will try to get us to settle for donuts when God is calling us to the ding-dongs, okay? Sometimes... Satan will get if Satan can't do get you to do something evil, he'll try to get you to not do that which is good. If you say no, I'm going to do what's good, then Satan will try to get you to do what's second or third or fourth best. Okay. And so we've got to be so close to the Lord and seek His face uh, that we see that we are all that God calls us to be. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for third best. We're going to have, there's going to be some guys and gals are going to stand there on the the judgment seat of Christ and find out that no, God had called them to to full-time ministry or something else. If God called you to pump gas in Oregon, then you pump gas in Oregon. But we probably had a few guys pumping gas in Oregon that God was calling them to be the president of the United States. And there's other times we got a president of the United States. God was probably calling him to pump gas in Oregon. Okay? But we've got to seek God's face and be all that God called us to be. Paul said that his hope, joy, and crown of rejoicing is the Thessalonian church. They're the fruit of his ministry. So when you minister, when you serve others, What pleases you is to watch the people you led to Christ, to watch them grow and to see them persevere uh, in the faith. Paul's glory and joy is seeing his converts and disciples in the presence of Jesus at his return. We'll hear from the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, Nick Sweeney used to be the principal of the school that I teach at. And every time somebody complimented me or one of the other teachers that worked for him, I would look, he'd get this big grin on his face, and he'd turn all red. He was like a little kid. He's a big guy, but he was like a little kid on Christmas morning. A loving father rejoices over his children's successes. Okay? Paul's glory and joy is seeing his converts and disciples 
in the presence of Jesus at his return. It's not just, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We also want to hear the people we led to Christ, the people we discipled, the people we ministered to, the people we served. We want to hear the Lord say to them as well, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul could even refer in some of his letters, he would refer to Timothy as his letter. He's basically saying, you want to see my resume? You think I'm not the real deal? Here's my resume. His name is Timothy. When Paul's disciples were walking strong in the Lord and were fearless proclaimers of God's word, that was the fruit of Paul's ministry. That showed that his ministry is genuine. And so do we really care about those that we minister to? Do we really seek to see them spiritually grow in the Lord? Do we miss them when we're apart? So in in conclusion, Paul defended his ministry, ministry of boldness, integrity, love, unselfishness, and blameless behavior. He prayed for the Thessalonians. He encouraged them. And he rejoiced that they were willing to suffer for Christ. We've got people in this congregation that have suffered for Christ, for the cause of the gospel risk their jobs and all, standing up for what they believed the Lord was leading them to do. But Paul rejoiced that they were willing to suffer for Christ. True Christian servants and ministers were servants. We serve others. True Christian servants pray for their disciples, encourage them, and long to see them grow in Christ. Please, I I say this over and over again. Don't pray that God gives you a ministry. God already has given you a ministry. He might call you to a different ministry, but right now you have a ministry. Who are those friends, those neighbors, those relatives, associates, coworkers, classmates, whatever it may be? Who are those people who come to you for spiritual advice? Because that's your mission field. Do you care about your mission field? Do you miss them when you're apart? Do you pray for them? Do you long to see them spiritually grow? I'm I'm hoping and praying that each one of us, you know, if I stand before the Lord when Jesus returns and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, I'm going to be one happy camper. But if I'm like the Apostle Paul, and then I look over and I see Jesus saying that same thing, well done, thou good and faithful servant, to someone I discipled, to someone I ministered to. It's not all about you. It's all about him. It's all about King Jesus, loving God with everything you got, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay, and we're thinking, wow, that's what God's called us to do, love our neighbors ourselves. No, we're saved now. Now we're supposed to love one another as Christ loved us, being willing to lay down our lives for others. But as you grow in the Lord, you minister to others, you serve them, you love them, you care about them, you miss them when you're apart, and you pray for them. And by the way, it's actually easier to stay in touch today than it was for Paul back then. 
mailing a letter was pretty tough. You'd have to get some guy who's going to be willing to travel by land or by sea for miles. Let's, let's, let's love one another. I mean, we're going to see Paul emphasizing that in chapter 3. Let's love one another as Christ loved us. And it's easy to argue with one another and think, man, it, brother or sister at church, boy, they really get on my nerves. It's easy to argue with one another. Don't be picky about your Christian friends. Because the days are coming, we're going to be running out of friends. Okay? And um, you might think, well, Joe Schmo gets on my nerves. You might end up sharing a prison cell with them because you're both preaching Jesus, and you know what? You're going to be happy. Because Jesus can love us despite all our rough edges. He can empower us to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord despite our rough edges. Brothers and sisters, it's getting hot in the kitchen. Just don't live for yourself. Live for our king because he is good, and he's going to come back, and he's going to make things right upon the earth. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I pray your grace and your peace and your joy over the people that are here today. I pray that for all who trust in your son Jesus for salvation. Cause us, Lord, to love you with an undying love and to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord as you have loved us. Strengthen us and help us to spiritually grow, but help us to also disciple others so that they can spiritually grow. And bind us together so that we would love each other with the love of the Lord. In Jesus' name.